Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, he seemed like Mr. Right. Instead, he was Mr. Mystery. We'll talk about the podcast, Do You Know Mordecai? Plus, France's favorite gentleman burglar is back. We'll review season two of Lupin on Netflix. Join me to get those things done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, and true crime co-author Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is author, private investigator, certified pet detective, and resident cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, burger loving Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. So, Laura, I just want to have something to say to you. Okay. Welcome to 1996. I hear you are launching your own website. Tell us about that. Yes, 1997. Well, I I have not had an actual like LaraBricker.com website. And I felt like even Toby has a website because I went and looked his up. Yeah, even Toby. <laughs> I don't have a website. <laughs> I don't amazing. have RebeccaLavoy.com. And I was like, okay, the time is now. It's, you know what? It's time for me to like launch the Bricker brand out to the interwebs. Why is the time now? Uh, the time is now because along with the Bricker brand, I am launching uh, my Exeter-based cozy mystery series this <gasps> summer. Oh, my God. Your actual like book mystery series. My actual book mystery series. We have a crime writer who's writing. Are you going to become the Archer Mayor of Exeter, New Hampshire? Um, I'm working on that. You know, that's sort of my goal because I do love Archer Mayor. Uh, although one of my beta readers today was like kind of worried that I might get assassinated by the locals when my book came out. So oh. I'm sure Archer Mayor has had threats as well. Yeah. Well, he has. I actually talked to him about this one time because I said, like, how do you take because he uses real cities and towns in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do that without, you know, alienating everybody or do people recognize themselves? And he said, you change like three things. Right. So if it's a man, you change it. to. And so I I employed that technique as well. But there's some people you might know. I always think about Archer Mayer as like. So he, he writes for those of listeners who don't know, he writes mysteries like like it's like procedural uh, like cop detective mystery type things taking place in Vermont with his character's name Gunther, right? Yeah, Joe Gunther. And he uh, basically will turn these very bucolic places into Vermont to like the seat of a sex trafficking ring <laughs> or like the place where like all the cocaine smugglers are gathering. It's not dissimilar to like Louise Penny having like, you know, horrible crimes in like beautiful yes. small town Montreal. But like, um, yeah, it's it's really dark. I've always wondered that too. So are you doing that shit with Exeter? Are you making like, like, like serious crimes happen there? 
Well, not super serious. Like, think of it like Murder, She Wrote meets Exeter. So, like, the people that die, like, nobody's really upset that they're dead. (laughs) There's there might be a tragedy. Yeah, there's some scones, uh, you know, a little wine, some cats, some things like that. There's a little more leaning toward the Louise Penny side. Yes, yes, in that tiny town of Three Pines. Which yes. apparently twelve people live in. One person <laughs> dies that everyone knows, and everyone's like, "Well, they seemed fine, I guess." So, exactly. what's the name of the first book, and when can we buy it? Oh, thank you. So, the first book is called "Dead on Deadline," and it is the first in the Piper Green Exeter Mysteries. And I'm looking at this point, possibly mid-August. Nice, good. Well, so, we'll hear more about that. I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. read it. We're going to make Toby read it and do it on the deep dive. <laughs> There is I also. Think, I think date from Dateline needs to do something on dead by Dateline. Yes, dead by dead, dead by deadline, dead on deadline, deadline. dead on deadline. Like, oh, it's it's da- a, yeah, yeah, All like right. a newspaper on Ooh, deadline. Is Piper a reporter? Yes. Oh, Don't yes. give it away, Laura. Don't give the. Whole I think thing it's pretty away. clear from the title, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's set in. Basically, I created somewhere during the pandemic that I wanted to go to a simpler time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very excited that you're back in the writing saddle again. Congratulations. And congratulations on being in 1996 and launching your own website. Hey, listen, I even had glamour shots, Rebecca. Did you get your um, URL through GoDaddy and all the 1996 things? (laughs) No, in this year, well, I don't want to say because we we might have them as a sponsor at some point, but uh, it's a lot easier. Yes, it is totally easier. All right. Well, who wants to start a podcast with our first review? We do. I do, too. All right. Leading off. He was the first person in a long, well, I guess in all of my dating that I felt not only connected with, like we had a good personality connection and amazing conversations, and I felt connected to him before I even met him. Recently divorced single mom Aria began dating a new man named Mark who preferred to go by Mordecai. He was a sweet widower, but Arya had enough of his strange behavior and outright lies about his personal and professional life. She thought she left Mordecai behind until a stranger came to her door. And she said, I think you know someone named Mordecai Horowitz? And I said, oh, you better come in. And I think at that point, like, I just thought, okay, here we go. Her friend and reporter podcast host Kathleen Goldhar began a hunt for Mordecai and the other women he dated under false pretenses. She pursued a romantic con artist whose only motivation seems to be because he could get away with it. Aria was freaking out. How many women had Mark been sleeping with while they were together? What was Mark's endgame? Was it about money? Was she in danger? Do You Know Mordecai is the new podcast from UCP Audio and Antica Productions. Goldhar works on behalf of the bamboozled and brokenhearted, seeking an answer to the titular question, who is he, why does he do it, and where is he now? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant spoilery plot points from Do You Know Mordecai. Hard spoilers. So if you want to remain spoiler free, a.k.a. if you don't want to know about the twists and turns of this podcast and just listen first, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up and thumbs down review. Now, Laura, this podcast to me as a divorced person and remarried who is friends with one of my ex's friends, best friends, actually. Uh, I personally found the setup of this podcast to be incredible because we immediately get... 
the host set up with her main subject. They just immerse us in it because we find out in the first few minutes, Aria is also the ex-wife of our host's ex-husband, sort of describing their friendship and like laying the, the groundwork for both their relationship and their romantic kind of history. What did you think of the setup for this podcast? I thought it was just, I mean, I've never heard anything like this before. I mean, I, you know, you, when I first heard it, I'm like, oh yeah, right. They're friends. Because like, you just can't imagine that like sincerely two women in that position would end up being as close as they were. But I thought it really brought like a certain level of like making this like more like a friend to friend sort of intimate discussion by setting us up and bringing us in like that, where a lot of times we're listening to these and like people are like, why did you do this podcast? And it's like, oh, I heard about this case and all I could think about. Well, in this case, there's a real reason she's doing this podcast. And so you actually feel like it's a lot more authentic. But I I was surprised, you know, when they're talking about holidays with each other and everything. The chairs around her dining room table are my old dining room chairs. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. I just forgot all of them. I'm just like, these look familiar. Like, oh, yeah, this is on my head. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, the layers. Yeah. (laughs) So, Toby, what did you think about the setup for this podcast? I thought it was really good. I also thought it was really good thematically in that you have two women bonding over, you know, their experience with a man that didn't go so well. And that sort of sets up this entire thing, which is these women sort of getting together to exchange stories and and provide support for each other and stuff for having dealt with this one guy, Mordecai slash Mark, um, in addition to kind of introducing the two main people and finding out their relationship, it kind of sets this tone, I think. And it's a very intimate podcast, I thought. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Finding Cleo. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just very personal. It's all these very, very personal stories. I agree. I think Kathleen seems like the same, and I hate to call it Canadian nice, but the same, same kind of nice person that we feel like Connie Walker is, like taking us inside. Kevin, I know you had thoughts about this as well, about just sort of the way this whole thing launched. Yeah, I think Kathleen and Arya should do a cross-country buddy movie like Thelma and Louise. They could <laughs> they could start in you know Vancouver and uh, work their way over to Nova Scotia and oh. meet the Canadian Brad Pitt along the way. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, look, I think sometimes we get hung up on the idea that the podcast narrator needs a reason to be telling the story. They don't. And we really shouldn't make that the standard. Like, you can't tell this story unless you have some personal connection to it. But it's great when you do. And I think in this case, it really works. It's an interesting relationship, first of all, between Kathleen and Aria. I thought that that was really great, you yeah. know, that they have this bond and they're more like sisters as opposed to exes of the ex or whatever. You have my dining room chairs. It's a fucking amazing detail, right? <laughs> but but I also, like you question, is that the first time she's in the dining room chairs? Maybe it is. Maybe it was performative. I don't know. But, but again, <laughs> not the point. The idea is that I think Kathleen is close enough to the story of Mordecai that it makes it interesting and personal, but not so close as that, you're, like you're saying, oh, she's by. It, it wasn't like she was going out with Mordecai and now she's trying to capture that. She's just enough distance where she can remain objective, I think yeah. might be the term. Uh, it gives her some cachet with the other victims. And I think that's a, I think that's an appropriate term to use as far as these women who've been oh, scammed. Oh, they're victims. That they've been victims. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great setup. And look, she says right from the top, I'm going to tell you a fucked up story. Yeah. She says that. And you're, you're like, okay, you laid it out. Bring it. And I think she does. A friend of mine fell for a sensitive millionaire named Mordecai. 
And then she found out she wasn't the only one. It was way too good to be true. I'm Kathleen Goldhar, and I'm going to tell you one crazy-ass story. One of the things I think is interesting, and I found myself thinking about this over and over again in this podcast, is one of our criticisms of some recent podcasts we've listened to is that when you have a scammer or an institution that's abusing people serially or scamming them serially, you end up hearing the same story over and over and over again. And you're like, how many episodes can you do or hear the same thing again? Mm -hmm. For some reason, this was not that. I mean, there were thematically things that Mordecai slash Mark did to these women that were the same. They were tied together. We heard from a lot of the women in the podcast, but they were differentiated and all interesting in a way. And Toby, I found myself thinking about that because it's certainly a criticism you and I have had in common about things of like, okay, we get it. Like, move on. I'm just really curious. Like, why was this so different? Like, I found myself like, I want to hear from the next person. I actually found myself thinking at one point, like, I could do a serialized weekly podcast where just each week I hear from another person who dated this guy. Why is this different? I don't know. I don't know if their stories are different enough. I I assume some of it was good editing, where I think sometimes that this whole like, oh my God, this again, this again, this again, is sort of either their stories are really that similar or it's not enough thought is being put into how it's edited so that you do get different aspects of the story from different people. So I'm not really sure what it was, but I did have the same thing that you, I had the same feeling that you did, where it was, didn't feel like, oh God, here we go again with a story. I, I think she does a good job of, you hear Arya's story and then you hear parts of other people's stories, like like different amounts of it. And then you go out to California and hear her story at greater length. She's in some ways, she's the key, right? Yeah. I mean, she's the fulcrum around which this all revolves. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think it was just, it was just sort of very smartly done. Laura, I think one of the things that we sometimes think, I mean, think about Dirty John, for instance, where listeners, not us, but other listeners are like, well, how did Deborah fall for that? How did so-and-so fall for that? Uh, this podcast, I think, does a good job showing that Mordecai slash Mark is just extremely experienced. Along with, by the way, Kathleen is talking about her friend. When her friend got back together with this guy, she was like, no, like she got it. But for some reason, I did not find myself even like a little bit tempted to question the women in this podcast, which I typically am not, by the way. But like there was also that differentiation because we very often also ask or listeners ask that aren't us like, how could this person fall for this? Do you feel like the podcast did a good job with that, with sort of understanding how these women, these very smart compelling, interesting women ended up being part of this narrative. I think they did do a good job with that because there was like two areas that really kind of brought that out for me. The first is, you know, they were talking about, like you just said, all the women were very smart. They were very accomplished. And he just happened to somehow hit them at a time when they were in a more vulnerable state, like they were just post-divorce or something was going on in their life. So they were maybe not at the top of their game, but also... When you later hear from him and you hear, like, Spoiler I was like, oh. alert. <laughs> yeah, I think listening to him talk and this sort of like kind of bumbling, apologetic persona thing that he has going on, it's convincing. 
And it's hard to know if he's being even sincere in that interview. I mean, I don't think he was. I just don't want to be, I just, I just, I'm intensely uncomfortable with myself um, and my upbringing and, and how it all went. And it's just an elaborate disguise, I guess. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. I think it was just part of the game. And I think that both of those things, like you see how good he is at the game, kind of in this sort of like self-effacing sort of, oh, you know, shucks, little old me, whatever. But then at the same time, these women are just, for whatever reason, like Arya, post-divorce, they're feeling maybe not quite as savvy as they would be if they were maybe not, you know? It's interesting to me that she points out that his targets are all similar and that they you know, sort of like mostly divorced women or women with a history of bad relationships, a lot of them are single mothers, right? Yeah. And so we'll talk about the fact that he was interviewed in a second. That's a whole other thing. But when I listen to him, I mean, there is sort of a thread for me of like the nurturing thread of like he presents as somebody who's willing to listen to feelings and willing to be fully present. And one of the stunning things for me is Kathleen and Aria talking about their shared ex as being the opposite of that. And we learn everything we need to know about their ex and their shared relationship with him there. And the fact that this guy would be appealing for displaying these other qualities. I find that very interesting. Kevin, I started episode five. Yeah. After listening to four episodes of these very compelling stories about women Episode five is sort of this audio setup. Does your microphone work? Can you hear through your headphones? COVID right. times? Yeah, yeah. And then we find out that we are hearing from Mordecai slash Mark himself. What are your thoughts when you first get into that episode? I thought, wow, I was not expecting to hear from Mark slash Mordecai. Hey, Mark, have a seat. Where, I sit here? Yeah. I'm going to help you get all set up. Do I put this on? Yeah, put the headphones on. Okay, here we go. You know, I, I don't think it'd be impossible to find him because, you know, these are professional journalists and, you know, you can put they put their mind to it. They can certainly get that done. Well, the subjects the all idea- had his phone number, probably. <laughs> right. You know, it isn't like he vanished. However, his willing participation was not something I saw. But I think it tells a little bit more about him that he would be willing to come on and talk, knowing that he you know, was caught red handed. And, you know, that he's going to come on, not with a great excuse, just more of a kind of a mea culpa, even though, like Lara says, it isn't really sincere. The main question, of course, is about, do you know Mordecai, right? So that's... that's Great title when you hear the whole podcast, yeah. How it fits in. Uh, But it's really about, you know, know, why and how. Mm. It isn't really about, do you know him? Who is he really? It's, It's more about, why is he doing this? And how? You know, how does he get away with it? We, we get a lot of the how. The why is harder to find. I think at the end, we get enough sort of clues that we still have to draw our own conclusion. But I don't know if, you know, a concussion from rugby will turn you into a, yeah. you know, a serial philanderer or, or, or whatever it is. But, you know, it just is, there's definitely something going on there that he cannot control himself or is willing to get the kind of therapy i don't know i think it's 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 over my pay grade i don't under i'm not a mental health professional but it's it is confusing it is confusing to the average pop culture psychologist that is the point but before we get there to like the motivations i just want to get laura and toby's reaction to turning on episode five and realizing they had 
Mordecai slash Mark. Toby, were you expecting him to be in the podcast after hearing four episodes about him in the podcast? You know, I listened to them like back to back to back to back. Same. Uh, driving actually partly to go to uh, your son's graduation party. And, <laughs> Congratulations, uh, Teddy. So I, I I guess I hadn't really thought about it too much. And then when it popped up, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I, I thought it was just super interesting. It wasn't essential for the podcast, but I think it does bump the podcast up into sort of another level of excellence. It's kind of hard to picture like how this kind of guy who every like nobody seems like particularly impressed with him. You know, the the way they describe him is, you know, he's willing to hear our feelings and he did this romantic thing, but he was also like heavier and balder than I thought he was going to be and shorter and all these things. And uh, Hey now, heavy, short and bald. (laughs) Uh, So what was it that was not only just attracting all these women, but then like he would do these horrible things and then apologize to them and they'd come back. Mm. And you totally get that from that interview. And if you hadn't been primed with all these stories that had come before it, I think you would have been more sympathetic to him because he certainly comes off as being sincere, Hmm. but you know that he's not because you've heard all these stories and you know that going into the interview, she's been kind of primed to be like, this is the way he's going to act. Right. And you're going to want to give him a hug, right? But don't because that's that's his deal. To me, that was a masterclass in editing because we were primed for it. We heard it, and yet even I, while hearing it, was like, wow, there's something really wrong with this guy. And then they bring in again tape of women saying, okay, he's going to say this. He's going to do this. He's going to tell you he's mentally ill and wants to change. He's going to ask how people are. So, like, they did a – the editing in this podcast, to me, is like – Almost, it's like second to none. It's like yeah, it's really incredible good. editing in terms of the way they present stories and present information and then do callbacks. Because, yeah, we heard that he did these things, but then we hear him do it. Like, I did find myself sliding in a little bit. Do you and think then, she was hard enough on him? I do. You don't think she could have pushed a little? She I could have been a little stronger? I, think, I mean, I know that's Canadian strong, well, let me but tell I mean, you could she have been New Jersey strong? I got enough. I got enough. She knew what she was going to get, and then she illustrated it with editing with the other women telling us what he was going to do. I don't know. Laura, were you surprised to hear that Mark slash Mordecai was in this podcast? I I couldn't believe it because, you know, the setup was done in such a way that there was like no hint to me that he was actually going to talk. But at the same time, I guess I wasn't really surprised because if they could find him based on what we've heard of him, he's going to carry on the game. And so I, on that regard, I was like, he never seems to drop that. So of course he's going to go and talk like he always does. But hearing him was just, it was, it was a little bit surprising because you do get the sense of that personality that he's putting out there. And again, I'm like, how is this attractive? And that is the part I, I, even though I hear how all these people got involved with him, I still hearing his voice and hearing the way he talks. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I, it's, it's, I guess you would know if you were in that position, but I, it's, it's hard to make that leap when you hear him talking. I'll tell you, Lara, as somebody who has been in a relationship with like, I'm not going to, it's not my ex-husband, but as someone who has been in like bad relationships with like coercive and controlling people, there is something, I'm not saying that I'm attracted to Mark slash Mordecai. I am not. But there is something appealing about just sort of like the sensitive, willing to listen, 
like immediately contrite guy that screams teddy bear, which is kind of how I think he presents that. I get it in terms of like, if you've never been with somebody who's just willing to hear you, that that could be enough. Like I'm not, I mean, I I get it. I'm not, I, what I'm saying is I don't in any way blame these women. And I could imagine myself in the same scenario in myriad ways. I also haven't seen this guy's uh, Bumble profile, which might be fucking awesome. I don't know. <laughs> it could be awesome. Maybe his Tinder is like off the chain. I don't know. Uh, the podcast does go a little bit into the um, social psychology about narcissism and serial liars and reasons for lying. And it is a departure from the format. Toby, you sent me a note that you thought that maybe took you away from the storyline of the podcast. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it just kind of speaks to the excellence of the rest of the podcast that this part, which is, you know, it's fine. And I can see why they felt it was necessary to do it. But it kind of breaks this little spell you have. I, I don't know. It's just it's such a unique story and the way it's told and stuff. And then you get this sort of more conventional podcast stuff. There's some interesting stuff just about like what is what is personality and the fact that damaging physically damaging your brain can change like who you are. I think it's kind if of that's interesting. What happened, yeah. Well, but it but it definitely has happened to other people, right? Yep. I mean, that's you you hear about that like, you know, football players, I can't remember the the TBI acronym. traumatic brain injury. TBI. Uh, yeah. So, again, see why they did it kind of pulled me out of the kind of flow of the podcast, but, you know, in the end it was fine. Kevin, one of our uh, big complaints about some podcasts is about whether or not they land the plane or not. Do you think this podcast landed the plane? And oh, first of all, for oh, people yeah. who don't listen to our show regularly, can you explain what landing the plane means? Does it have an ending? <laughs> Does it have a satisfying ending, right. or is it just kind of a go off into the sunset? Uh, yeah, I believe it does. In fact, I was just thinking about how this has done something that Serial did that a lot of other podcasts try to accomplish, but they never do, which is the real-time crowdsourcing of the story. You know, a lot of true crime podcasts go out there and they're like, you know, help us find the killer. And they're hoping to generate interest among the audience and someone's going to come up with something usable. And that rarely happens. But in this case, and whether they meant to or not, you know, once they saw a podcast with the title, Do You Know Mordecai?, Someone starts to think about, well, do I know a Mordecai? Actually, I do. And he's a pretty weird fucking guy. He's and on my maybe, Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> and he's done all this stuff. So now we have people coming forward and adding to the, the narrative here that, yeah, he's doing the stuff. And that's great because in the interview, he says that, yeah, I'm not doing any of this, you know, love scam stuff anymore. I'm not on any of the dating apps. Bullshit. And then all of a sudden, here comes somebody saying, yeah, here he is. Yeah, here he is right here on my Bumble. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast, Do You Know Mordecai? All six episodes are out. So it is a bingeable show that you can check out right now. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Do You Know Mordecai? This is a big thumbs up for me. I thought this was... I mean, I, when you say bingeable, I, I literally listened to this like all in the same day because once I started listening, I was just sucked right in. It's a super interesting story. There's a lot of themes of, I'm going to say like some badass women who band together at one point, which might have been one of my, yeah, one of my favorite parts of this podcast. But, you know, also this was very satisfying. There was an end that was satisfying. All the questions that I had were answered along the way. So 
I felt when I was done that I had a really good story, but it was something we haven't heard before. Um, or at least the way it was told didn't feel like something I'd heard before. So big thumbs up. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Do You Know Mordecai? Yeah, I'm a big thumbs up too. You know, it's got this interesting way of being low key, but just completely riveting. And I guess I would just say that I think this is going to be one of the ones I recommend to people quite a bit for, you know, if I'm going on a road trip or whatever, what, what should I listen to? Because that was the way I kind of experienced it was in like these sort of long stretches. And I, I don't know, I just I just found it completely compelling. So big thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I thought this was really good. It has some elements of Dirty John and of A Bed of Lies. Um, you know, this the con man, be careful who you're sharing your bed with, right? It's not like the most interesting crime part of it. You know, the felonious aspects of it are not terribly unusual for this kind of story. However, I think it's told really, really well. And uh, yeah, I think uh, now that everything's out, you should binge all six episodes and really get a feel for it. Yeah, I'm going to go out on limb and say this is the podcast uh, that will be so far in the year 2021. What are we in June? Mm -hmm. Uh, I have two other podcasts that I've already exclaimed will be on my top list. This is on the top list and it is has now passed the other two. Let me more than the line. Oh, wait. Well, okay. There's actually four. I'm a monster. No, the monster is last year. So the ones I have so far, I have through the cracks and suave and the line. Right. So I have three. Suave. Yeah. All right. Never mind. Anyway. I love this podcast, and a huge testament to this podcast is I tweeted about this podcast yesterday. Everybody who I recommended it to personally, like my friend Maureen, a couple people on Twitter, they binged the whole thing in one day because they couldn't not. It is that good. One thing we didn't talk about at all in our discussion was the production, which is perfect the uh use of music is great the sort of level that everything about it is the mixing everything the editing is fantastic it is compelling it's super feminist and it tells a story yeah we've i feel like we've done a bunch of podcasts about a man who scammed a bunch of people this just elevates that genre to a level that is going to be difficult for other people to replicate i can't say enough good things about do you know mordecai i feel like i'm gonna be talking about this for months for me Huge A plus 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 thumbs up for Do You Know Mordecai. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section of the podcast. Business section. What is going on on our Patreon right now, Kevin Flynn? Our Patreon is open to everybody. (gasps) 
What, is, what do you mean? It's the Patreon free listen preview. Right now, if you go to our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, you can listen to selected episodes of the shows that have been subscription only. And uh, now you can hear some of the stuff that you've been missing out on. What are people going to be able to hear? So we're like HBO right now, giving stuff away for free. Not everything, but some stuff. What are people going to be able to hear for free right now on our Patreon? You can hear some selected crime writers on after shows, including this week's, where we're going to be talking about our summer book recommendations. Nice. Which bring in two. Right, guys? You got two books? I have two. Laura's got two. Toby's like, no, I've got seven so perfect. Toby's yeah. like, I, I've got one. I'm going to talk about it for 20 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's right. fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's how it rolls. Uh, we have a new episode of Leave It to Bricker that's out, and it has to do with the Irish cat. Ooh. And uh, we have a new episode of Married with Podcast that we're about to record, Rebecca. We have a question from someone who has not had sex for 15 years. Neither have I. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> So all you got to do right now is go to uh, patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can uh, flip to, if you use the app. All of the posts that are usually locked for certain subscription levels, they're all opened up. Not all of them, but we've Selected picked a bunch ones. of stuff. Have a listen. It's good till the end of the week. And then if you really like, subscribe. Is Sasquatch going to be available? Oh, I, I have to try to find that one. Okay. That's, that's far down the, you know, I don't want people scrolling for 20 minutes to find stuff. <laughs> Sasquatch. You know. I want everyone to be able to hear the fucking Sasquatch episode of Married with Podcast. All right, Kevin. Uh, just can you do a quick plug for our newsletter and how great it is? Sure. Also for free, you can sign up for the Crime Writers On newsletter. It comes out on Mondays and you just go to crimewriterson.com. Right at the top of the page, just stick in your email address and you will get a weekly email that has a stuff summary of our reviews, some crime writers on behind the scenes, including, hey, what did we have? A photograph mm. of mm. Lara and Toby mm. visiting <gasps> Studio C for what? the first time. What? You mean it was Studio C? Were you guys surprised by how small it was? It is a closet in our basement. It, it, it's, it's interesting that it, through Zoom, like the way I'm looking at you now, like I didn't realize that like the walls were literally like you've somehow framed it. So Yeah. It's like an elevator. <laughs> yeah. I mean it, yeah, it's it's Listen, it's called it's fisheye lens. This entire operation this this partners in crime media thing is just an illusion. <laughs> we are literally people making podcasts in a closet in our basement. We've never not been transparent about that, right? No. For some reason I was thinking it was like a sauna sized closet. Nope. Like it was a little bigger. No. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So what was I fixing? Oh, yes. And I saw the little sheepskin thing. And then I got a little freaked out thinking about Kevin in the summer in the sheepskin. And that was I my had... chair, not his. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kevin, uh, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Christy Strum and Molly Adams. Bless you. Bless you. Okay. Does that wrap up the business section? It does. Let's fade out that music. Moving on. When we last saw France's favorite gentleman burglar, Essan Diop, the police had uncovered his identity and his son had been kidnapped. Those are just the latest complications in his plan to take down Hubert Pellegrini, the wealthy businessman who destroyed his family. Are you really a thief? That's why they took me? 25 years ago, Pellegrini framed my father. And now... He's targeting you. 
Assan's skills and tactics are inspired by the fictional literary character Arsène Lupin, the charismatic French thief. Starring Omar Sy, season two of Netflix's French-language thriller Lupin shows our hero employing disguises, high-tech trickery, and pure brawn to complete his elaborate plan for revenge, all while staying one step ahead of the cops and Pellegrini's thugs. We are going to be talking about plot points for season two of Lupin. Lupin? Lupin? I'm saying Lupin. Lupin? I'm being, like, language-sensitive. What is it called? Lupin. <laughs> so to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. For Lupin. So, Kevin, I found myself uh, watching season two of Lupin slash Lupin thinking... I did not get the satisfying recap I needed of season one to be oriented. Like like we did, I think, about Killing Eve, by the way, which is another very complicated show with lots of characters, lots of plots, lots of places. But they've done a very good job of orienting us to where we were when we left off. I was found that missing here, and I was... So you're saying you didn't see the recap of the last season? No, but I felt lost for more than just the recap. Did you feel like the story oriented us well enough here? I'll say I could have used a recap, but that, I'm not going to give it thumbs down right. because no, there was no either. recap. I'm you know, I'm either. just saying I. Were you confused? Just I guess what I'm asking. No. Okay. I was able to pick it up later with context clues. So. But it's very escapist too. Well, that's why. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I was trying to remember. Oh, who was that guy? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And what happened with the necklace? Oh, they broke it all down. That's right. Okay. So all right. Yeah. Whatever. But, you know, we're not following Watergate here. This is a very, (laughs) it is very fanciful and it's meant to be kind of light. And that's why you kind of overlook the idea that, you know, he has a storage unit that connects directly to the <laughs> unchar- unmarked part That's of his the friend. Par- it's Paris catacombs. It's his friend. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> it's a very cozy storage unit, by the way. I know. They had tea. I can move in there in a second. Laura, this is a ludicrous and fanciful show, right? Oh, absolutely. You have to go in and accept that. I mean, there is just absolutely no way that any person is actually going to be 5, 10, 20 steps ahead of everybody else, never get caught, do all this crazy stuff, steal boats, go in the catacombs, climb through walls. I mean, all this stuff. But it's fun. So you have to sort of just suspend that feeling of like disbelief and go with it with this show because, I mean, it's just entertainment. It's, it's, it's like a fun sort of romp through Paris. All right, so let's go to Toby now, who has a yeah. very different feeling <laughs> about the fancifulness and ridiculousness of this show. Toby, we've just heard two people describe this as fanciful and fun, and therefore we should just let go of our other feelings. You have a different thought here, right at the top of your notes, so I just want to let you share that with our audience. Go ahead. Well, I kind of feel like in these kinds of things, there's an agreement that's made, which is that you're not going to like look too seriously at you're going to take it as fanciful and fun but the thing that the show has to deliver is cleverness right you need the scams the hijinks all this stuff has to be clever and i thought this sort of went out of its way to not be clever Hmm. i thought it recycled a lot of stuff and just the thing that it added to the recycled stuff was just to make it like 50 percent lamer than the original a couple of examples. The beginning, there's a whole lot of stuff that depends on him taking stuff out of people's pockets and putting other things back in their pockets. But, you know, it's kind of shown in this like kind of slow motion or whatever, but it just seems lazy because it happens several times. 
there's a ripoff of the Thomas Crown Affair that takes place on a beach with a bunch of people in top hats, and you can't tell which one is his son who's being kidnapped. You know, and it's just on and on and on. Like the climactic scene takes place at this opera house that's crawling with guards, and you don't see how Lupin makes it into the opera box. He just kind of shows up there. And then when he leaves, you see all these guards all over the place. And you're like, well, how the hell did he get in? Mm. Like, that's the kind of thing that like a good show like this would show you is how does he get past all these guards to get in there? Well, there's probably something clever that he does. And that's what would be fun to watch. But they don't even bother with that. It's just like he suddenly shows up in the box. And then when he runs out, it's like everybody's like, oh, there he is. Let's chase him. So I, I kept waiting for the clever stuff to come in. And they kept punting on it. They either wouldn't try and show it or what they would show just wasn't very clever. It was Mm. like they'd show something happened and then they'd go back later and be like, well, this is what was really going on. He paid these guys to act this way, which is why he wasn't really ripping them off. Mm. So I don't know. I could go on. So, Laura, yeah, you did go on because that was your first five (laughs) notes. I can just check, 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 check. Laura, one of the things they do in the show that I liked was they show a series of events and they go back in time and show the beginning of the series events. I'm not saying it worked every time. For me, the time it worked best was the painting theft where we are supposed to believe that he magically stole a painting from this museum in Paris and they go back in time and then we find out he didn't actually steal it. They changed the TV Chiron to show the Notre Dame fire. I actually thought that was pretty clever. Uh, And that worked a couple of times in the series. What do you think about that sort of construction of let me show you something and let's go back in time and show you how we did it? I liked it uh, because when you see the actual event happening before you go back in time, I mean, from, you know, the first few times, I'm not really paying that much attention to like, is this a real person? Is that a real person? How did this happen? But when we have that flashback in time part and we see the setup, I mean, again, you have to suspend reality because you're like, oh, oh, my God. Yes, of course, he stored a fireman suit in the ceiling tiles along with (laughs) a wig and a porn star mustache or whatever he used to escape with. But, you know, I thought it was effective because for me, it conveyed the amount of planning you know, if you're going along with this sort of theory of this guy being like a criminal, ma- not criminal master in mind, but just like the catch me if you can guy who's able to do all these cons and never get caught. When you do get that flashback, you get the full depth of like what goes into pulling something like that off. Kevin, what do you think of that construction? Because I, again, found the most clever one to be the painting one. Like I didn't like I felt like I felt like Toby like betrayed by the fact the show would just let us assume that he had stolen this like Monet or whatever <laughs> from the museum. That was the one I found clever. But there is some magic you have to believe that he and his friend could just anticipate everything, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want realism, then you're watching the wrong show. I think the only thing that sort of tonally that like did not fit was the end of this first episode of this season where Raul, the son, we believe just got burned in the back of a car in yeah. the trunk and it was left there with that cliffhanger and it was, it was like, wow. It was dark. It was dark and you're like, that that can't be, that can't be. And in some ways it would have been better if it was to me. Because you didn't want Raul no, around. No, 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 be, just because it would have been a turn that we didn't expect, you know what I mean? Yeah, but again, this is supposed to be kind of light and I think it's trying to capture some of the joie de vivre of the Lupin books where he's, you know, he's a carefree, 
very clever robber. And that's sort of part of the joy of the stories is to kind of watch him do his thing. And, you know, Asan does a lot of the same stuff. You know, you do want the Ocean's Eleven aspect of it. You want to see, okay, well, you're going to have this caper and how do you pull it off? That's, I think, what you're in in it for. I also think that Omar Sy was the actor. I don't know what he's saying because it's in French. I mean, I guess I could read it, but you could just watch him do anything. Yeah, he's really He's got, you know, and the kid. That plays him like the young Azan. Oh, the casting of the children is incredible. They have to, how do you find someone with the same twinkle in your eye? I'll it tell just, you, it's amazing. Even the other woman, Juliet, the girl who plays the young, yeah. like all of the young people look fucking exactly like the old. It's, it's yeah. like dark. We like it in, in French with the subtitles. We know that your mileage may vary if you don't like it, but I do feel like you do get a real sense of like this cast. And they're and they're acting portrayals, and I thought you know instead of it being like a Japanese cartoon. Yeah, seriously, everyone should watch Call My Agent if they want to want to see some great French actors. Anyway, Toby, you also mentioned something about the sort of lack of trauma that comes after that Raoul alleged death situation, because I felt that too. Lupin slash Asan thought his son died. Right, uh, Raoul was actually kidnapped and could have died. The fallout from that was brief and not consequential, right? <laughs> it was it was bizarre. So there's there's one where Lupin is like trying to get them to say was there somebody in the trunk and there's like this back and forth with the the female cop like oh I'm not going to tell you. Come on, it's my son. You know, and she's like there's nobody there and he's like oh okay, well, phew. But the son is taken away by this cop, like away from where he knows his father is. And the son is kind of like, I don't know, he's kind of moping a little bit. And then somehow they start talking about the Lupin books. It's like, oh, you know, he kind of like brightens up. Oh, this guy must be kind of cool if he likes those books. I I don't know. It just seemed weird. Like Mm. if I was a teenager and my dad was like facing off with a killer in an abandoned house after the killer like stuck me in the trunk of a car and tried to burn it. Like, I don't think I could be distracted with like a conversation about books by some guy who I'd never met who's driving me away. What if it was Paris. about UFOs? No. Yeah. Yeah. Did you start like talking about Yeah, well you know, that's that's different though. That's different. By the way, I love the woman uh detective in the in the series. Yeah, I she's loved awesome. her. Oh all, my all god. All the actors are good. All the actors are good. She's amazing and she just sort of has this like very um innate like there's no way to describe it other than like very french sex appeal that makes it even like elevates the performance a little bit anyway lara you also had some thoughts about the plot line with the son of course but that also ties into sort of the family thread of this series we're going back in time of course asan's father worked for pellegrini our arch nemesis slash villain here who was set up for a crime wrongfully and the show is sort of about the son trying to clear his father's name. It's sort of generational stuff, right? Yeah. And I think I don't really understand why the whole plot with his son was put in there this season, other than it was a good way to keep a hook from the end of season one to start season two with some suspense because they left it on that note. But most of the season one, I mean, you know, it felt like to me was all revolving around getting the father's name cleared and getting Pellegrini to confess, or at least exposing him for his role in all of, uh, you know, what happened to Asan's father. You know, once we got back to that initial mission, I felt like that 
was kind of like the purpose of the whole series, you know, aside from this blip in the middle with the son being kidnapped. And, you know, Pellegrini is a he's a villain that like we love to hate. So when there is this resolution, I mean, it's very satisfying, especially after you see him like sitting in the tub, just like smoking a cigar. Like, <laughs> it's oh, weird you, chest hair. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm like, oh, God, like you really want to see that guy go down after that. So it, I found it satisfying to have that thread tied up in this season. I will say I do not think Pellegrini is hateable enough. That's like one of my big criticisms is that you like, don't. I mean, he's hateable, but is he hateable enough? I mean, he's. They could always be more hateable. No, I will say that we've watched other series where there have been people who've been on screen for less time that we've hated more. I honestly do think Killing Eve is a great example of this. They can show you someone for four minutes and you're like, I fucking hate that guy. (laughs) And Pellegrini, you're like, well, his daughter still lives with him, so he can't be that bad. You know what I mean? They're sort of like. I think maybe you're the only one thinking that. I know. I actually, I do think he's bad. I just don't think the show does a good job making me think he's bad. You know what I mean? So, Toby, there's one scene that I want to ask you about. So we have this idea that Hassan, who is this very tall black man, can just walk around. Everyone recognizes him as there's Lupin. There's the bad guy. But then he's randomly able to put on like a dreadlock wig (laughs) and people think he's an entirely different person. (laughs) Did you pick up on just sort of the absurdity of that just being a disguise that like people didn't see? Because I picked up on that. I, I don't know how you can't. Um, <laughs> there was, at, at the end, I was wondering if maybe there was some aspect of French humor that I just didn't get and yeah. that this was like laugh out loud funny in France. But I think it's just in keeping with what I consider to be just super, super lazy plotting. Hmm. You know, you got to come up with something original for this kind of thing. And the capers, like like Kevin was saying, it's, it's like a caper thing and there's a series of capers. And you need to bring something original or something suspenseful or just something. And it's just like they're constantly not coming up with anything very interesting. Like there's times when he just is like, well, he gets cornered. So he just punches these two guys out or he runs out of room. So he hides behind a clothing rack and the guy with the gun doesn't think to look behind it or, <laughs> or like look down to see scene, if there are any right? feet sticking out. The catacomb pull- scene <laughs> should have been super suspenseful and yes. they could have had it darker and it could have been disorienting and all this stuff. And instead, it was just like, well, you know, these guys are walking and these guys are walking and they you know, are they going to run into each they other? They went that way. He's the you master know, of disguise with 50 million beards that he can paste on. And he's now he's wanted for murder and his face is on every newspaper and he's walking around in a TAM. Yeah. Have you seen, <laughs> no one's going to recognize him now. Have you seen Team America? Yes, World Police. Fuck yeah. yeah. Where, where, they, where, they, where, where the guy like... They they get the master of disguise. He like pastes like all this like hair on the guy's face, and they're like, "You're a genius." Now, Laura, I, I want like I do want to ask you about one aspect of the season that I liked, which was turning the goth kid into the finance genius, the third accomplice. Yeah, uh, I thought it was clever, and I did. By the way, call it the minute we saw the goth kid. I'm like, oh, he's going to be the finance genius. But I also liked it. What did you think of that sort of turn in the series? Oh, I thought that was fun. That was one of my favorite sort of hidden characters when we got that reveal and, and like found out the whole story because that was it was just well acted. And I loved the whole setup of like actually going to the library and staking out the Lupin section. Like 
like there's that, you know, I thought that was fun. And, and you know, then seeing the, the wide range of other people that were reading these books and, and interested in this character. But that nerds? was quite... You mean nerds? Nerds. Well, no, then they had the lady who was like, like pulled like a flask out of her, you know. Alcoholics <laughs> and nerds. Yeah. Drunk, drunken nerds. Yeah. But that was fun because he was very clever. And like watching, you know, you went from one pretty recognizable look to a completely opposite end of the spectrum and the glasses really made the whole thing so that that was just a fun little side twist kevin you have a very interesting note that i want to address before we do our review yeah uh the origin story problem yeah i mean we see we see a lot of his backstory of him growing up uh you know with his father in jail and his friend benjamin and sort of him becoming sneaky but Today, when we see him, he also has an apartment that nobody can seem to find. He's got all this computer equipment and this ability to do all sorts of uh, crazy things. And he's just a super high skill set. I want to know, how did he obtain that skill set? Yeah, because the teenage Asan we see is not a genius. He's just like a nice kid who's being screwed. I guess we're led to believe that he's self-taught. And it's one thing, you know, is, oh, well, I, I, I read all these books and it's actually a blueprint on how to be a great guy. It doesn't tell, show you how to do voice distortion yeah. on the computer. So I just think, like, you know, even Batman has to have an origin story. It's just like, who is the one old wizard that you met playing chess in the park? What monk in a cave? Who happened to know all this stuff and showed it to you, right? And that would just kind of, like, answer that question a little bit. It doesn't have to be believable, right? Because, again, it's it's Lupin. So you just, whatever. But I just felt like hey, that would be a little something. Both he and Benjamin became geniuses, and all we see as them as kids is just being outsiders. We don't see. Any I genius. think in season three, right, he leaves Paris and he's going somewhere. He should go to the Andes and then like reunite with this guy who was actually his burglar mentor, and together they come back and solve like Christian Bale, Batman, and the cave. Exactly. The oh, exactly. That's it. With regard to like the origin story, like the Queen's Gambit. I felt like that was a good origin story of how she becomes a chess genius when we have that scene in the basement with the old guy like Bill Camp. So I yeah, so I would like to that that does make sense. That would be something if we had a similar setup because I don't know how they carry this to season 3 cuz like season 1 ended on a pretty good like cliffhanger like the sun is disappearing and you're like, "Oh no." Season 2 ends and I'm like, "Well, that was satisfying. The bad guy got what he deserved. What's left?" <laughs> you know? All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out season two of Lupin slash Lupin on Netflix? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for season two of Lupin slash Lupin? Lupin. 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 Uh, I'm going a thumbs up. It's not as enthusiastic as I was for the first season of the show. But I think, you know what, this is at this point in it's summer we're all coming out of like our, you know, pandemic times, getting back into the world. It's a little overwhelming out there right now. So if you want something fun to watch on the weekend, just to kind of check out for a while that's entertaining, I think this is a good show for that. It's, you know, I have I was out with some friends last night and they were watching it too. And it's just kind of light. The stakes aren't too high. And it's something that's, you know, it's an entertaining caper story. Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for season two of Lupin? It's just inexcusably lazy writing. Uh, I I just, I I can't believe that the script as it is, like, made it through. I mean, they've got really good actors, obviously high budget. It's just lazy. Mm. They they don't come up with any new ideas. So I really could not not recommend it more. So a huge thumbs down. Wow. Kevin Flynn, what about you? 
I'm a thumbs up. Um, I like the you know sort of fun escapist nature of Lupin. Uh, there's always sort of the caper aspect of uh, these kinds of shows that you like to follow. Is it great? Probably not. I mean, Toby does bring up some good points about some of the stuff being hard to swallow. The first two episodes of the season, the kidnapping subplot kind of thing, really threw it off of the whole story. You got to look at these two seasons together, sort of one 10-episode arc, and that little That's part in the middle. That's not what we're reviewing, though. But I'm, I'm just saying that I think that that little bit kind of really threw the whole thing off because, yeah. right, you don't sort of get back into this whole thing with Pellegrini and his revenge until you get to that second, third episode. So in any event, I liked it. Yeah, I I have a tough thing because like you, Kevin, I was tempted to say I want to say all 10 episodes. I'm like, oh, thumbs up. But I don't think the second season of this show was good. So I'm going to go thumbs down for season two. I loved season one. I think if you had season one and season two together, I would still be giving it like a general thumbs up with yeah. some weak points. I don't think season two was good. I think about a show like Killing Eve, where it was also very complicated with characters and backstories and people who were supposed to be almost supernatural in their abilities to do things. Killing Eve has such clever writing that even when things are absurd, they, they give you the buy-in. Like They make the deal with you and they follow through on the deal where it works. I don't think Lupin does that uh, in season two. That being said, I like the whole season, the whole both seasons, thumbs up. This season two, I'm sorry, I got to give it a thumbs down. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime Crime of the Week. That's how the cookie crumbles. Or does it? The Girl Scouts have announced that they have 15 million boxes of unsold cookies this year. Oh, my God. Send them to my house. (laughs) The annual fundraiser was hit hard by the pandemic. Most sales are face-to-face with Scouts, either door-to-door or at public booths. Even with contactless delivery and drive through booths, they were still way off on their 200 million box goal. Many local troops are stuck with thousands of unsold boxes. Meantime, 12 million packages of Thin Mints, Lemon Ups, and Toffee Tastics are still at the two bakeries that churn out the cookies. It's not the biggest blow to the 109-year-old cookie-selling program, though. The Girl Scouts resorted to selling calendars during World War II because of flour, sugar, and butter shortages. Organizers will probably be donating leftovers to shelters, prisons, and the military. The cookies have a 12-month shelf life. Panel, here's my question for you. Let's help out the Girl Scouts. 
which variety of Girl Scout cookies would you buy a few million boxes of? There's only one right answer. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Um, I'm going Thin Mints. Yeah, that's the right answer. Yeah. So I used to go the Samoas, and I do like the Samoas. But the Thin Mints, there's so many other uses for them as well. You what do you make, mean? Like, oh my can gosh, you, you could crush them up and you could make them into like a crumb topping for a dessert. You could eat them. You could freeze them. You eat could them freeze was, I them. thought, the thing to eat, do. Yeah. 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 Eat them is another? You could freeze wow. them. So <laughs> many things. What, a martini. What's, what's the primary thing you use it for if it's not eating them? Toby <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Ball, uh, what about you? Which Girl Scout cookie would you buy a million boxes of? So I'm left with all wrong answers. Yes. Um, so I think I'm going to uh, think I'm going to go with dosi dos. Which are what? They are peanut butter sandwich cookies, I believe. Yes. Why do they have two names? It's sort of like the um, what's the cookie that's shaped like a peanut that tastes like peanut butter? Oh, nutter butter. Nutter butter. Which sounds nutter really butter? dirty when you think about it. Here's my nutter butter. <laughs> yes. Uh, they have two different names because there's two different bakeries yeah. that put them, and one is like different parts of the country. Yeah. So if you're, I, I mean, we get around here, don't we? Isn't it Dozy Dose around here? Yeah, it's Dozy Dose. I think yeah. so. What other parts of the country get? They get peanut butter sandwich. It's the same cookie. It's oh, just, boring. It's I a boring it's the same name. Cookie. Is the Thin Mints in other parts of the country called something better than No, they're than Thin Mints. mints. <laughs> they're Thin Mints everywhere. Kevin, what about you? What girls' cookie would you buy a million boxes of? Yeah, and by the way, Laura, the Samoas that you used to like, other parts of the country, they're caramel delights. Oh. Have you ever uh, seen the fat content of a Samoa? Oh, it's, it's real bad. It's like eating a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> I like the tagalongs, mm. or also known as the peanut butter patties. Mm. So that's like mm. the chocolate covered cookie with the peanut butter on it. It's got the yeah. It's a little bit that's of Laura, a little bit of me. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling it's you, it's three great tastes. It tastes great. Together. I know that Kevin doesn't love mint. I also love peanut butter, by the way. But thin mints is the only right answer because it is the only cookie that comes with like. The action phrase of I'm going to do a sleeve of Thin Mints, which I really appreciate because the only way to eat them is to do a whole sleeve. All right. We should probably end the show on that. Now, before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have any cats of the week this week? We have a dog this week. Thank goodness. It's my favorite animal. We are having a big dog run here. So this comes from Allie Donnell. Allie is nominating her rescue dog, Willow. We adopted Willow in January after she was rescued from Egypt and brought to Canada. She's a lovely, yeah, this is so cool. She's a lovely, affectionate dog who's adjusted well to the family routine. Although she has a strong personality and was known as the boss of the streets prior to her rescue. She's a bitch. (laughs) Well, if she's not cat of the week, perhaps she could be the crime of the week. She's a well-known garden thief who has eaten all of the berries from my strawberry plants and and. It gets worse. Dug up my Swiss shard and corn. I mean, it can take the Swiss shard. She is super cute, though, so it's hard to hold it against her. Wow. My dog won't even eat a carrot when I make his homemade food. That's incredible. Neither right. will I. Laura Bricker, if people want to send you their animals to be Cat of the Week, obviously it can be any kind of fucking animal, not a cat. It could be a dog. It could be a rat. It could be anything. It could also be a cat. They could, of course, email crimeraiderson at gmail.com or go to our Facebook group. But if they want to send it to you on Twitter, how would they do that? Uh, it would be at Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if folks want to tweet to you, how would they do that? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to say, hey, I understand your whole conundrum around illegal bats, how can they tweet you? I'm at Kevin P. 
Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And seriously, I really do encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we have a secret underground passage to the Paris catacombs. May we? On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I have a good story about Kevin to tell you. Uh Uh-oh. So uh, uh, both of our kids are like, like Henry especially, like isn't eating red meat. Like he's just like laying off. He's doing more white meat. I guess it's like environmental stuff. He's not wrong, by the way. No, Teddy no, is sorry. also, because he does everything Henry does, like I'm going to eat less red meat. So Kevin, the boys are home. We went to the store to get something to grill and he came back with ribs. And I was like, you know, the boys don't eat red meat. And he was like, it's not, it's pork. It's pork. And I the was other like, white meat. that's a slogan. Pork is not white meat. <laughs> It's the other white meat. Toby, you know that pork's not white meat, though, right? I don't care. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.